Hi, I'm Elise Myers. I'm a content creator and comedian. You might know me from TikTok. Why am I in your ears right now? Well, that's a great question. I would love to tell you. I have a new podcast called Funny Because It's True. On my show, I'll be interviewing comedians, pop culture icons, and also just people I find really funny. We'll be talking about the awkward moments that keep you awake at night. Because if you don't laugh, you cry, right? (laughs) Okay, Funny Because It's True. Out now wherever you get your podcasts. Are you curious about what drives our buying decisions? Tune in to Add to Cart, where Suchin Pak and Kulap Vilaisak reveal the deeper layers behind our purchases. From the whimsical to the serious, they explore it all. Whether it's a debate over a quirky swimsuit or a deep dive into a new life philosophy, they've got you covered with their hilarious and subversive takes. Don't miss out. Add to Cart from Lemonada Media has new episodes every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts. Futuro. Futuro investigates. Futuro. 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 Investiga. Just a quick warning before we start. There are some mentions of torture in this episode, so just take care. Previously on USA versus Garcia Luna. And I know Garcia Luna was willing to do so many things for the Drug Enforcement Administration. And he's not just anybody. He is the highest ranking Mexican official ever to be put on trial for a crime like this. The United States has to look inwards, too. Garcia Luna was working with U.S. government officials. Hello, dear listener. It's Maria Hinojosa, and I'm in the studio with my co-host, Benile Ramirez. Hello, Futuro listener. And this is episode two of our series, USA versus Garcia Luna. And if you listen to episode one, which you definitely should, well, dear listener, you know what comes first. All right, here we go. This one's for Benny Lay because she likes a full one. Yeah, I get a full one too. So, salud. Salud. And you know what? I want to laugh even more on this episode than I did in the first episode. Do you think that's possible, Benny Lay? <laughs> yeah, that's possible because today I have a couple of videos that I want to show you. Okay, show and tell. And <laughs> it's going to be fun. All right, all right. But just to give you some context, back in 2009, the Mexican government inaugurated this big police federal intelligence center and they created an ad to promote that center. So this would be like the equivalent of the creation of the CIA or the FBI? It was the equivalent to the creation of a big center that the DA has in Texas. And of course, it was funded with money from... The United States. First, I want you to see the video and tell me, what do you see? The editing is so... I mean, it looks like a public relations video promoting what they call a new police model. And they're like showing shots of computers and equipment and essentially, you know, this modernized police force. And I mean, to me, it's like, wait, it looks like they just want to look like American cops, American police. 
Yeah, this is the moment when Mexico wanted to portray its police as modern and effective and to show that they were actually fighting the crime and leading these efforts and all this public relations campaign. Who you think it was? Oh my God, <laughs> our guy? Bing, 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 bing. Genaro Garcia Luna. Dude, seriously? So like he was like el maestro of like, let's do this whole PR thing. Let's make this whole thing look like computerized. I mean, he, he was super savvy and strategic. I mean, he had a specific idea of what he wanted to do. For example, in 2011, his second to last year as Secretary of Public Security, Garcia Luna used about $10 million in public funds to produce a TV series. And some of those funds, my sources say, came from money the U.S. had sent to Mexico to fight drug trafficking. And the TV series was called El Equipo, The Team. A television series? Yeah, and this is the second video I want to show you today. This is a trailer of The Team. I'm so glad that I don't know what to expect every time we're recording this because I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> It's like Law and Order, CSI, FBI, 24. En capítulos anteriores. Papá. Pilar me abandonó. A mí me gustaría tener una mujer como Pilar. Tú nunca vas a dejar de ser lo que eres, la esposa de un federal. In the series, the fellow police officers, so Genaro's officers, were presented as characters from Hollywood. Dude, that was very telenovela. There was like some very beautiful women there, like kind of love story almost. And the tagline of the team was, ellos saben que el bien vence al mal. They know that good always overcomes evil. So it's literally like black and white. There's good and there's bad. But you can't get away from the fact that there's like a serious telenovela underbelly right there. Like La Historia de Amor. Who's going to fall in love with who? There's some sex and love happening right here with El Equipo. And we're going to find out. But you know, Maria, it was a big scandal in Mexico because the Mexican press then discovered that he was using real federal police officers as extras in no. the series. Are you kidding? No, es que this doesn't, I'm, I'm not kidding. <laughs> I mean, it's like you can't make this stuff up. So they were using real police officers as extras. They were using real equipment, real buildings of the Policia Federal. Which is like really dangerous because then you're basically showing the interiors of the federal police buildings. And that's a national security institution. So the series <laughs> oh, was a God. big fiasco. Some of my sources told me that in part was because Garcia Luna insisted himself that his advisors reviewed every chapter, every script, and they added lines to the script. He was all involved in the series. He was so proud of the series. So I'm trying to understand. Ayúdame a entender aquí un segundo. So this guy is like main super cop, but on the side, he's helping to create a primetime television series. Yeah, and you think you are multitasking, Maria. <laughs> <laughs> Dear listener, on this episode, we're going to try to figure out exactly who is Genaro Garcia Luna. Like, how did he do this? Where does he come from? How do you rise up in the Mexican police, which is like massive and become so powerful and have this like CSI mentality? So again, I have all these questions. Benny, you did too. And you spent 10 years researching this dude. So, okay, what do we need to know? 
about Genaro Garcia Luna. So, Maria, Genaro Garcia Luna led the Department of Public Security of Mexico from 2006 to 2012. He was in charge of developing public security policies and preventing crimes. He was also in charge of streamlining police institutions, and he also was in charge of managing the federal prison system. Wow. That means that he was really powerful. I mean, that's a lot for one man. Yeah. That's a lot. I mean, all of the policing and the prison system under one person. Okay. All right. Right. But I think he also enjoyed For Garcia Luna to be this super cop was very, very personal. People who used to work with him told me that he was obsessed with American police TV shows. And also he was so obsessed with the character of James Bond that a source told me that when Garcia Luna turned 50 years old in 2018, he had a birthday party with the James Bond team. The obsession of CSI and James Bond, you never know where it can lead you. Actually, another thing that I found in public documents that I obtained for my investigation is earlier in his career, he was the director of the AFI, who was the Mexican equivalent to the FBI. And back then, when he was in that position, his email address was AFI01. So he was the agent number one of the organization. So he was like, you know, portraying himself of the time, like, I'm the agent number one. I'm the hero of this country. <laughs> You can have the fantasies, you know, that's okay. But the problem is if you have those fantasies with U.S. taxpayers' money and Mexican taxpayers' money and public funds. Okay, but Benny, how do you know that the guy really loved to watch CSI? I mean, okay, it seems like he was obsessed with everything like pop culture, police, American. But, you know, I mean, you watch television in the privacy of your own home. So how do you know this? How could you know this? The thing is that when you cover a person for such a long period of time, you want to understand the character, what things he liked, what was his dreams, his routines. So I interview a lot of people, some of them on the record, some of them off the record. And I was trying to understand who was this guy. Yo recuerdo un hombre muy serio, muy discreto, se subordina a su mando y tiene escogidas reducciones de amistad. Él trataba siempre de protagonizar y empezó a, a engañar. Engañó a todos porque montó todo un show, un teatro. Su talento era convencer a presidentes. Pues ahora sí era una rata que nomás iba a aprovechar el, ahora sí el puesto que tenía. Wow. So the first comment is like he was pretty serious, but then pretty quickly after that, every single one of them was like, oh no, the guy was like, bad dude. A rat. A rat. Yeah, I heard that types of comments from a lot of people, but at the same time, I had police officers telling me that Garcia Luna was a hero and he was saving Mexico and he was dignifying the image of the Mexican police. So they really looked up to him. So, Benile, as you're kind of uncovering this, right, are you feeling more confused about Genaro Garcia Luna? I like to say this in Spanish. Mm -hmm. He was not just a malo de Malolandia. So. <laughs> Wait, we have to translate. Malo de Malolandia. So he is not a bad guy from Badlandia. You know, that doesn't mean that the serious accusations against him right now are not that serious. But it means that as a journalist, you have to understand all the angles of the story, not just, oh, he was bad, like 24 hours a day. 
if you understand the character, you understand the reasons why he did some things. Which leads back to your essential question. How does this guy make it all happen? So what, in fact, did you uncover? Well, actually, I found that his background is pretty conventional. He was born in a very Catholic family, not surprising in Mexico. He grew up in a working class neighborhood in Mexico City, and his family had a small moving business. And he grew up helping his dad with that business. I didn't find anything remarkable about his childhood at all. I just found this one story that Garcia Luna liked to tell people that used to work with him. I have heard from sources that he used to say that when he was a teenager, he was a spy for the police in the neighborhood. Already as a teenager? He was, yeah, so he was like a, a spy kid. How do you, spy kid, how do you call that in, in Mexico? Orejas, no? Exacto. But orejas, so everybody knows, is you're an ear. And if you're an oreja, everybody knows essentially, to use the street term, it's like you're a snitch. But the reality might have been something very different, Maria. So a colleague of mine found that he was not a spy kid. He was a suspect of committing petty crimes. And the police knew about him, but not because he was helping them. It's because they were following his activities. And I think this is an important story about him because he wanted to be seen as someone that was always dreaming to be a police officer, you know, a good cop. But actually, he had another dream. I found that the real story is that what he wanted in life was to be a soccer player, not a police officer. A soccer player. Now, I don't know a lot about sports. You know this. This is one thing I don't know. It's pretty hard to become a professional soccer player and make a living out, right? I mean, it's like a pipe dream almost. Yeah, but as many kids in Mexico and in a lot of places, they just dream to become these giant soccer stars, especially if you grew up, as he did, in a working class family. You have these aspirations to move up and to become a soccer player is a way to achieve that, to pull yourself and your family out of poverty. And in the case of Garcia Luna, one of his former colleagues told me that his dream was to play in El America. Do you know this club, America? As, uh, you don't know. Uh, uh, I mean, <laughs> I've heard about soccer, it. I've Maria, heard about you it. You should know America Soccer Club. I'm it's sorry. one of the most famous soccer clubs. Las Americas. Clubs. Yes, I know Las Americas. No, no, no Las Americas. Oh, my God. America. I don't, like, America. I don't like them. I don't like America. Okay. I'm for Pumas. Pumas from so the National s- University. I'm getting so schooled on this. I'm okay, sorry. Okay, don't worry. But it's a, it's, a, it's a really important, famous soccer club. And that was his dream. But that didn't work. So then he went to college and he started engineering and he got into the new CISEN, you know, the Center for Investigation on National Security, the equivalent in Mexico to the CIA. What is important is that Garcia Luna was part of a new police generation. The agency that Garcia Luna joined, the CISEN, as we call it in Spanish, was the result of the push of the U.S. to professionalize the Mexican police. Because, as you know, Maria, the Mexican police was widely regarded as deeply, deeply, deeply corrupt. It was part of the state apparatus, for sure. Exactly. So there was an institution inside the Mexican government that was called the Directorate of Federal Security, the DFS. La DFS, como decimos en español. It was a kind of a mix between the CIA and the FBI, 
So the DFS was leading counterterrorism efforts, and they were also investigating insurrection activities in Mexico. They were spying on union leaders and also journalists. The DFS was also accused of a lot of illegal detentions, torture, assassinations, and forced disappearances. But then, in the late 1980s, Mexico was starting to become the main route for the drug trafficking to the U.S. And in 1985, a DEA agent was kidnapped and killed in Mexico by a drug cartel. And everybody knows his name, Enrique Camarena. Mullen has previously accused Mexican police of not doing enough to find the kidnappers of American drug agent Enrique Camarena, who was taken at gunpoint in Guadalajara earlier this month. It was the big moment because he was a U.S. DEA agent killed in Mexico. So it was a complete scandal, not just in Mexico, but also in the U.S. Until today, the DEA has been obsessed with Rafael Caro Quintero, the person that they think is responsible for the killing of Enrique Camarena. Caro Quintero was recently detained again, and the U.S. has seeked extradition for him. Back then, according to official allegations, the DFS was working closely with both criminals and the CIA. Okay, I need to stop for a second, because you said the DFS, which is the National Federal Police heavies, they were protecting the drug traffickers. Yeah, and at the same time, they were close allies with the CIA in Mexico. So after the DEA found that one of his agents was killed in Mexico, it was a complete mess. The Mexican government decided to dissolve the DFS. They signed the first of many bilateral treaties with the U.S., and they started collaborating in law enforcement matters. Then the Mexican government created a new center. They said this new center will have new standards. So they, for example, did psychological and polygraph tests. They did background checks on your family. And Genaro Garcia Luna passed all the tests. That's the very moment his career as a cop began. And so what year are we now, more or less? In 1989, And actually, I have been interviewed some people that knew him back then, and they told me that he was not any outstanding officer. He was just an average officer. But actually, there he met another person that was a truly brilliant intelligence agent, and that person, Cristina, became later his wife. And we're going to come back to his wife, but for now... I don't know, because what you're telling me is he seemed pretty average, right? You're saying that you did your reporting, even though he was passing all of these tests, there was nothing about him that was kind of extraordinary. He didn't have the social capital. No es que conocía a alguien, no es que él tenía esa conexión. So I'm still a little stuck with, how do you do that? Because, you know, in these places, there's a Mexican word, mucha grilla, cue the crickets. Okay, so mucha grilla means that there's like a lot of movement, a lot of sound, a lot of politics. It means you're not able to kind of move in a like the federal police unless you know somebody, unless you're doing a lot of grilla, unless you're making a lot of noise. But this guy's moving up even though he's kind of a plain guy. I don't understand. Actually, I was surprised by that too. But through my research, 
I started to realize, Maria, that Garcia Luna is this kind of person that will go to great lengths to achieve his goals. And I want to share with you a story that one of my sources told me. And I think this story really illustrates that. A former DEA officer based in Mexico told me that during a holiday season in Mexico, Garcia Luna invited this guy to his house. And after dinner, they went with their wives to the basement of the house, so Garcia Luna's house. And it was sort of a secret place. So when this guy is telling me the story, I'm, I'm like, okay, a basement, secret basement, spy, police officer. I'm thinking about weapons or something like that. But then it is a room with a couch and a lot of cassettes and CDs and DVDs. And they spend the night there just sitting there, not talking, just listening to the music for hours. And they were listening especially, you know, Garcia Luna's favorite, Donna Summer. Okay, so here's the other thing. I am obsessed with Donna Summer. I mean, I love her. I could dance to Donna Summer 24-7, but that's really weird to think that I share this with Garcia Luna. <laughs> it's so strange. Yeah, but, you know, in one hand, Garcia Luna is just this normal person who loves disco music. But at the same time, he's trying to impress this DEA officer. He's trying to show him that they have something in common. He also liked American music. And of course, he's trying to gain the trust of this important American agent. So, Enaro Garcia Luna, deeply fascinated by everything U.S., from CSI to Donna Summer. From CSI to Donna Summer. But there were other things that he was kind of deeply, I don't know, I would say maybe he was he was a little obsessed about it. Fitting in, proving that he was smart enough, convincing an American DEA agent that he was cool because he had Donna Summer in his basement. And then there was this other thing, right, which is that he had a stutter. What did he do? And why was it such a big deal for him? I think it's because... Mexico is a really male machista society. Patriarchal. Patriarchal. So I think if you have a speech problem and you want to be the head of the police, people can actually make fun of you. People can be really cruel. What I learned from that part of his life was that he was really obsessed with his speech problem and he spent years in a speech therapy. Okay, now I know that we heard a little bit of Garcia Luna's voice in the last episode, but after really getting to know this guy, it just hits different to hear his voice and, frankly, the way he talks. Yes, and we actually didn't find that many examples of his stutter because my sources told me that he found a way to deal with this issue by actually not speaking that much at all, not in public or even during private meetings. So when he was with his bosses, he never talked back and he never argued time and again. People remember that the phrase that characterized him the most was, yes, sir, yes, sir. And in Spanish, sí, señor, sí, señor. Sí, señor, sí, señor. And my sources told me that Garcia Luna was this kind of person that will carry 
the bus briefcases or will hold the door open for them. And this attitude was just convenient to the United States. For example, during the time when he was the Secretary of Public Security, there was an unprecedented number of DEA agents working in Mexico. Remember Mike Vigil, the former chief of international operations of the DEA? We heard about him in episode one. He told me for my book that Garcia Luna allowed the DEA to go practically everywhere they wanted in Mexico. Para nosotros, las puertas siempre estaban totalmente abiertas. But this is illegal. DEA agents are not supposed to go anywhere they want in Mexico because they need permission from the government. And they even had a nickname for Garcia Luna. Oh, my God. You know, What? the nickname was the Mexican Hoover. Oh, it's the Mexican J. Edgar Hoover, the first director of the FBI, who, as we know, was very complicated. Yeah, can you imagine that, Maria? I mean, because J. Edgar Hoover, he's not really held in great esteem in the United States. He was paranoid. That's been widely documented. We know that he illegally spied on American citizens, that he was racist and violently against the civil rights movement. And Garcia Luna probably knew all of that. One source told me that Garcia Luna read all the books and watched all the movies, and he knew everything about Hoover. Okay, that's just weird. <laughs> If you like this show, then you should definitely check out In the Blood, hosted by actor Ben McKenzie. The chilling story centers around Ronald Tromboli, a man convicted of a Texas triple murder he insists he did not commit. He had an alibi, no history of violence, and it seemed almost impossible to imagine the crime could have been committed by just one man. But Ronald Tromboli's DNA test, performed in the infancy of DNA testing in the 1980s, was a match. Is it possible he was innocent of the Texas triple murder he was convicted of? In the Blood presents all of the evidence, including evidence jurors were not privy to, and asks you, the audience, for your verdict. The crime took place in Texas in 1985, but it echoed across decades through multiple trials, a DNA retest, and the discovery of new evidence all the way to modern times. Was Ronald Tromboli a terrifying murderer of three teenagers or the victim of an incredible string of bad luck and his own tendency to talk himself into trouble? Listen to In the Blood to explore the evidence and decide for yourself. And don't miss the trailer at the end of this episode. You won't want to miss a single detail. Check out In the Blood wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. After season one aired, I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. And of course, my 90-year-old mom, Judy. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me Season 2 is out March 27th from Lemonada Media. Now, I want to tell you how Garcia Luna gained the trust of Felipe Calderón when he was his boss, because Garcia Luna was the Secretary of Public Security and Felipe Calderón was the president. And the short answer to how he did it was chisme. He was really good at gossiping. This guy, this powerful dude... And you're like, 
le encantaba el chisme. He loved to gossip. And I'm like, what are you talking But about? But for a political reason. So, for example, during the presidency of Felipe Calderón from 2006 to 2012, García Luna had a weekly soccer date with his own son and also with Calderón's son. And this has been widely reported. But then I learned that García Luna had another weekly meeting with Calderón. Officially, it was a briefing on the so-called war on drugs. But what my sources told me was that these meetings were really for García Luna to update Calderón about the gossip in his cabinet. Los chismes del gabinete. After those meetings, and I was told this by a former top officer, Calderón will know everything about all the people around him. For example, he will know who is getting divorced, who was dating whom, who was having an affair, even who was having a surgery. Within the administration? Yeah, within the cabinet. Maybe it's a power thing. I don't know. Maybe if you are a president of a country, you just want to know everything. Because actually... Calderón was not the only president interested in gossip. I remember that a couple of years ago, Michelle Obama said something similar about Barack Obama in the late night show with Stephen Colbert. It's all about the kids. You know, how are your days? What's going on? What's the latest gossip? He's really into gossip, so you can get him really focused because he doesn't have a life. <laughs> so. No, but he's got the NSA and he can find out what any of us are thinking. So gossip as a political tool. Yeah, but Colbert was making a joke. But the problem is that in Mexico, it was real. I just need to take a pause there because this gets even crazier. So he just likes gossip. Okay, we like gossip. But it doesn't stop there. He's like, I'm going to show you how we do gossip here. Yeah, there's an audio that was leaked in 2012. The person speaking in this audio is Josefina Vasquez Mota, who was then a presidential candidate. And she's talking on the phone with one of her campaign coordinators. But this is important. She was from the same party of the government that Garcia Luna was part of. And this is the audio. They're actually on this line and they're like, hey, Garcia Luna, we know you're recording us. Hi. Instead of recording El Chapo. Actually, I interviewed her and she told me that every person in the cabinet was all the time fearing to be recorded by him. And in every meeting with the president, they were expecting the president to say something about them, like from private conversations. And Garcia Luna was the person who had those tools, you know, those tools to record everyone. And those tools, again, were donated by... The U.S. government. <laughs> oh, my God. This is kind of crazy. So U.S. money was being used to buy equipment, which was then being used to spy on political opponents within Mexico. I mean, remember, in episode one, we talked about Watergate, how Watergate has something to do with this. And it has to do with this kind of deep corruption, spying, super paranoid. Yeah, Maria, and history is full of examples of superpowers using their resources to spy on whoever they consider an enemy or they simply don't like. And in the case of Mexico, the money that was used for surveillance kept flowing from the U.S. The former head of intelligence of the Mexican army told me that whenever Garcia Luna was meeting the U.S. authorities, he was always asking for more equipment, more money. 
But I found out that at the same time that the U.S. government was sending money and partially supporting Garcia Luna and the quote-unquote war on drugs, some U.S. diplomats started suspecting Garcia Luna. Suspecting that he liked Donna Summers? What were they suspecting? No, suspecting that he was, you know, actually helping the traffickers. And we know this because of WikiLeaks. Let me tell you, Maria, starting in 2010, WikiLeaks released thousands of documents from U.S. embassies and consulates around the world. WikiLeaks gave thousands of diplomatic cables related to Mexico to the media, and they also published hundreds of other cables online. I reviewed hundreds of those documents, and I found that as far as 2009, there were suspicions of corruption in the Department of Public Security, the one that Garcia Luna led. One of the people who directly denounced that corruption was a guy named Javier Herrera Valles. He was a high-level officer in the federal police at that time, and I interviewed him for my book because I wanted to find out why he was suspecting Garcia Luna in the first place. I guess what I'm stuck with is, is the ending, right? Because what he's saying is, kind of at the height of it all, this National Federal Police Department, he says, administraban los secuestros. They were managing the kidnappings. I'm like, what? Yeah, so Javier Herrera finds that Garcia Luna's close allies were indeed working with the drug traffickers. And even worse, they were kidnapping people, especially rich people, and they were asking for ransoms. But we have to remember at this point, Maria, that Garcia Luna is one of the most powerful people in Mexico, just second to the president. You couldn't just accuse him of something as serious as that. And I also found that the checks that were supposed to be in place to prevent corruption weren't really there. Remember that I said that back in 1989, Garcia Luna passed all those exams that allowed him to become an intelligence agent, un espia. Well, then I found that after a few years, he never had to undergo another of those trust exams again. And I discovered that the personal financial reports he was filling in Mexico didn't include all the properties he was buying. So no one was checking that the financial reports were truthful? I mean, how does that happen? You know, some people start asking questions. And one of them was Javier Herrera Valles. Javier told me that in 2008, he met with some people from the U.S. Embassy in a secret location in a city close to Mexico's capital to discuss his concerns about Garcia Luna. He gave me an exclusive interview in 2020, and he said that the U.S. officials told him that they were already investigating Garcia Luna. He also told me that they offered to get him out of the country in case that he was in any danger. This was 2008. So a week after Herrera Valles says he met with the U.S. diplomats in a secret location in Mexico. To basically say, I think Garcia Luna might be dirty. He was arrested. 
Javier was accused of drug trafficking and he spent four years in prison. And in 2012, he was declared innocent and he was released. He was told like, oh, we made a mistake. Sorry for the inconvenience. You can go home now. Oh, my God. So do you think that he was that he was arrested in retaliation for the fact that he was pointing a finger at Genaro Garcia Luna? That's what he thinks. Cuando me detuvieron, los policías que me fracturaron la costilla, me subieron a la patrulla y en el, en el trayecto me estuvieron golpeando. Me, decían, me dijeron por no callarme el hocico y haberte metido con el ingeniero García. So, like, the police officers are beating him, torturing him, and they're like, hey, what were you doing messing around with Genaro García Luna? So my question is, what did the U.S. Embassy do after that? After, again, according to Herrera Valles, they met. What happened with the investigation into Garcia Luna and why it didn't raise more alarms? Because four years after that, in 2012, the CIA gave Garcia Luna an award. This is one of the awards that we mentioned in the last episode. And in this award, they call him a friend of the United States. Dear listener, if you're getting a little confused, it's because it is confusing. So on the one hand, the U.S. in 2008 is saying, we're watching him. But in 2012, they're giving him awards and recognitions and the CIA and they're saying he's the good cop and the guy who's transforming Mexican police. And people bought it, including U.S. media. The New York Times wrote a super long profile on Garcia Luna in 2008, the same year Javier Valles went to prison. I mean, just the contrast of that, I mean, it's just really something. And it's a very positive profile. So the New York Times calls Garcia Luna the fixer, a central player in the efforts to reform Mexico's police. And you know what? The article doesn't really push back on that narrative of Garcia Luna. I mean, they basically let him talk about how he's cleaning up the Mexican police force and changing policing forever in Mexico. And again, dear listener, this is a person who is now indicted in the United States in federal court. And serious accusations of drug smuggling and, you know, lying to the U.S. authorities and helping for years drug organizations in Mexico to smuggle tons of cocaine to the United States. So one of the things that was happening with Genaro Garcia Luna was that he was kind of believing his stuff. Se lo empezó a creer. Am I right? Yeah, I think that's a psychological issue, actually, because if you are surrounded by people telling you that you are a hero, you are saving Mexico, and you have other people like journalists telling you that your police institution is not that clean, it's easy to just tell them, oh, you are crazy. Right, because Garcia Luna had all of these awards and the recognitions from the U.S. agencies. He has this glowing profile in the New York Times. But in Mexico, the press was reporting about the crimes of the police force that he had been leading, right? They were saying, this guy's got some serious problems with the police force. Yeah, and for years, his officers were accused of violating human rights, of disappearing and murdering people, conducting illegal detentions, and even torturing detainees. And on more than one occasion, Garcia Luna was called to Congress to respond to those accusations. But as you can imagine, 
He just denied everything. This is him before the Mexican Congress in 2011. All right, so this is where it gets confusing, right? I mean, Genaro Garcia Luna is in front of Congress. He's testifying. The media in Mexico is reporting about police officers under Garcia Luna's charge are violating human rights. And all of this is public. So you've got all of this writing on the wall, raising questions about Garcia Luna. But what you're saying is the U.S. government was like, don't worry, it's okay. We like this Garcia Luna guy. We think he's okay. I mean, is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And why did the U.S. do that? I don't know for sure, Maria. That's actually a question I have, and I'm sure many people have, and I would like to be able to answer. But what I did find out was that the suspicious about Garcia Luna working with the cartels go even further back. In 2020, I recorded an exclusive interview with General Roberto Aguilera. He was the head of intelligence in the Mexican army from 2000 to 2006. And he told me that he opened an investigation into Garcia Luna's police officers back in 2001. Dude, so almost 20 years before Garcia Luna was finally arrested in Texas, 20 years before that, there were suspicions. And Maria, do you know what else happened in 2001? It was the year when El Chapo's man escaped from prison for the first time. And I will tell you all about that. But you know what's going to happen. It's going to happen on the next episode. So be sure to listen. Stay tuned. Salud. Salud. On the next episode of USA versus Garcia Luna. I don't know why we're going into Queens. I just know we're on our way to Queens. All right, Penile, so what do you see? It's a big installation. They have like different warehouses. All right, let's get out. Okay, let's get out. What exactly is the connection of Garcia Luna to this place? USA versus Garcia Luna is an original production by Futuro Investigates, a division of Futuro Media, in collaboration with Latino USA. Lemonara Media is our advertising and distribution partner. Our hosts are Maria Hinojosa and Penile Ramirez, executive producers of Futuro Unidad Hinojosa, the Investigations and Special Projects Division of Futuro Media. The series is edited by Andrea Lopez Cruzado. Our associate producers are Roxana Aguirre, Sofia Sanchez, and Oscar de Leon. Fact-checking by Amy Tardif. Nancy Trujillo and Raul Perez are our project managers. Our engineers are Stephanie LeBeau, Julia Caruso, and Leah Shaw Dameron. Original theme song by Jacob Rosati. This series was made possible with support from the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, and Hispanics in Philanthropy. You can listen to USA vs. Garcia Luna wherever you get your podcasts and on our website, futuroinvestigates.org. That's futuroinvestigates.org. Visit our site to find more information on USA versus Garcia Luna.
We contacted or attempted to contact all the individuals and entities mentioned in this episode. Some could not be reached or declined to comment, and others did not reply to our emails or phone calls. The answers we did receive are included in this episode. Lemonada. Feeling decision fatigue about what to make for dinner? We get it. I'm Jane Black. And I'm Liz Dunn. We're veteran food journalists, and as parents ourselves, we know how hard it can be to feed your family. That's why we created Pressure Cooker, a podcast that offers practical strategies for navigating the marketing madness and cultural expectations around mealtime. Each week, we'll check in with the experts. From social media diet trends to baby-led weaning and AI meal planning, we have all your food-related questions covered. Listen to Pressure Cooker wherever you get your podcasts. In 2022, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Since then, it's been a barrage of bad news. But behind the bleak headlines, there are people working to protect our right to control our future. The Defenders is a new 10-part series about the fight for freedom in a post-Roe America. Co-hosted by Samantha B. and me, Gloria Riviera, the show will examine ways people are still accessing care, from crossing state borders to self-managed abortion. You'll hear from activists, providers, and everyday people doing the work to expand reproductive freedom. We're here to tell you, anyone can become a defender. The Defenders is out now, wherever you get your podcasts.